Father, we raise a hallelujah to you. We praise you for who you are. We thank you for your kindness toward us, your love toward us, and the way in which you extended your hand toward us when we needed it most. So as a church community, uh, watching, uh, participating in worship all around the country, Father, we just want to raise up a hallelujah and say you are worthy of praise and worthy of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, today we're looking at Psalms 117 and a little bit of 118. You'll see why in a moment. And we're going to look at the idea of how do you deal with differences with one another? Because we all have differences, differences of opinion, differences of style, differences of substance. And how do we tolerate each other? How do we love each other? And how does this psalm we're going to look at help with that? Well, I want to begin today in Romans chapter 15 of Strange Strange Place because Paul is writing to a group of Romans. And these Romans are both Greek and Jewish. Some were raised on Zeus before they came to Christ. Some were raised on Torah. Some were raised to celebrate certain Roman feasts, Greek feasts. Others were like, those are evil. Some said it's okay to eat certain meats. Others said you can only eat what's kosher. And Paul is going to address this diversity of opinions, diversity of of preferences in chapter 15 of Romans. He says this, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself. Now here's what's fascinating. He then goes down about five verses later in verse 11. And of all the places he could quote to reference why we should tolerate each other, love each other, and adapt to each other, he says in verse 11, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him. It's a weird word. Laud him. All you people. He's quoting from Psalms 117. Now why in the world of all the Psalms on why we should love each other, connect to each other, would he choose Psalms 117? It's a short little Psalm. And it becomes this song the Jewish people have sung for generations to remind themselves that the Gentiles are not their enemy. The people with a differing opinion or differing background are not their enemy. In fact, God wants all people, Jews and Gentiles, to laud him. And your music has that ability to bring us together. Every time I go to a wedding, right, suddenly the band kicks into Sweet Caroline and everybody from all backgrounds of all ages goes, da-da-da-da. Or suddenly it's a Beatles song and they launch into All You Need Is Love and everybody launches into the chorus. This song from Psalms 117 was one of those songs that reminded Jewish people that Gentiles were their brothers. Despite growing up differently in different backgrounds, despite different preferences on issues, we come together as children of God. Now, the main idea here, this word laud is really strange. It literally means to lionize or to magnify. And what the Bible is going to say here is that you and I need to lionize the Lord, magnify the Lord for his kindness. Here's how he says it. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you people. Why should we laud him? Why should we lionize him? Why should we magnify him? For his merciful kindness is great toward us. He wants you and I to lionize the Lord and he wants us to see the Gentiles in our life, those who don't believe the way we do, can lionize him as well. 
So what does it mean to lionize the Lord and why should we do it? Let me give you three reasons. One of the first reasons we lionize the Lord is because amazingly the God of the Bible is a transcendent God who adjusted his grip for you and I. And he did that so you and I will do the same for others. Now the idea of God's outstretched hand, his powerful hand that that makes galaxies and can crush the universe, and yet it's tender toward us and it's kind toward us. To understand this, you have to understand that, you know, the Exodus, what these Psalms were about, were all about God delivering his people from Egypt. And in Egyptian hieroglyphics, you always see the Egyptian Pharaoh with an outstretched arm, the powerful arm of the Pharaoh, one of the gods of the Egyptians. Now God uses this metaphor very differently. His outstretched arm is that, yes, it comes against the, the, the gods of the Egyptians, but it's also tender and it scoops up his people. He adjusts his grip for you and for me. The God who is transcendent is also the God who is imminent. Remember in Exodus, it says it this way. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from the bondage and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And my outstretched arm is far more powerful than the Egyptian Pharaoh. But it's also more kind and tender because it can scoop you up and draw you close. So with that in mind, let's jump into Psalms 117. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you people. For his merciful kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. So this word laud, again, very strange British background word, laud, it literally means to lionize, to magnify, to to, um, hold up in esteem. Think Lion King holding up that child. You're saying, this is a new king in my life. For his merciful kindness, it's great toward us. And that word great, again, it means massive, prevailing, huge kindness toward us. And the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. So you're lionizing or seeing the size of God's mercy. You're seeing the size of his truth. You're seeing the size of how important he is in your life and mine. That's the idea here. So what is mercy? Well, mercy simply means not getting what we deserve. And to lionize the Lord is to remember how much, how big, how massive his mercy has been to me. His kindness is recognizing or lionizing the Lord and seeing how he adjusted his grip. Kindness simply means adjusting your grip to somebody else, right? You don't shake hands with a, with a two-year-old the way you shake hands with a business partner. No, you adjust your grip. That's kindness. And that's what God has done for us. So praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. The emphasis here is that he wants not just the Hebrew people to lionize him, but those Gentiles So imagine this is the song you sing as a Hebrew on your way to Passover to celebrate a Jewish feast that you want to be reminded that you want to live your life in such a way that the Gentiles around you, the people who who may disagree with you religiously or politically, ultimately see something in you that makes them want to laud or lionize the Lord. So how do we do that? What do you and I need to do to adapt to other people the way God adapted his grip to us? Well, maybe it's listening to other people. 
being a better listener. Right? When we listen to someone, we adapt what we want to talk about to what they need. Maybe it means being merciful, giving mercy to someone who doesn't deserve it. That's what mercy is. Maybe it's being long-suffering. The word patience means to suffer long for someone. Or maybe it simply means prioritizing their needs over my preferences. I think that may be why Paul quotes this psalm in talking to the Romans. I want you to, instead of fighting over the differences between Hebrew and Gentile, I want you to remember those Gentiles are your brothers. And by adapting, trying not to please yourself but pleasing them, it's a way of drawing them that they would want to please the Lord. I had a guy came up to me about a month ago. I said, Chad, I've been so angry at my adult boys. It just seems like they call me when they want money. They call me when they want the favor. But you know what? When I try and give them some advice or share my opinion or difference of opinion, I just feel so disrespected. I mean, I just feel like they cut me off. They don't listen unless they want something for me. And I have been angry, really angry. So tell me about that. He's like, I've just been rehearsing in my head, magnifying how wrong they are. And then my mind kind of magnifies how right I've been. It's really had me bitter and angry. More than that, I've noticed my wife has been playing the triangulation game and trying to calm me down and trying to like, come on, respect your your dad. And I got my my wife in an awkward position. And I don't like that either. He said, but today, while sitting in the message, God convicted me. Like, of what? Well, we were in the middle of the series on Jonah, as you remember, about four or five weeks ago. And I talked about, instead of focusing on what other people deserve, focus on what you didn't deserve. And really lionize God's mercy towards you. Then you'll be able to extend that to others. That was the message of the day. And he said, as I was listening today, oh, God convicted me. He convicted me that I've been magnifying their wrongdoing and magnifying my right doing, but today I'm going to magnify what God's done for me. He said, I got to tell you, God just prompted me that as I leave today, I'm going to go out, I'm going to call my sons. He took a deep breath. And I'm going to apologize for how I'm handling the situation. Not because they deserve it, but because I want to give the same mercy to them that God gave to me. That's what it looks like to lionize the Lord. To realize if he adjusted his grip to me, if he gave me great mercy and kindness, I'll do the same to others. So imagine Jesus and his disciples singing this song. Oh, that we would have the Gentiles laud the Lord of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now they created a model of what Jerusalem looked like in the days of Jesus. Imagine Jesus and his disciples singing this song at Passover. And just a few hours later, they're going to be in the garden. Then Jesus is going to find himself here at Herod's palace going on trial. He'll be taken out of the gates and be crucified outside of the walls. And here, he will know in the midst of his own crucifixion that his mission in life is that Gentiles would laud the Lord. So right here in this location, he will say words like, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And when he does, a Roman centurion, hundreds of other Romans watching, who've seen dozens of people, thousands of people die, are going to say, wow, surely that was the Son of God. 
Jesus not only sings that song, he lives out that song that Gentiles would come and laud God because of watching how Jesus suffered under persecution. How about for you and I? Whatever you're going through, whatever cross you're bearing, whatever circumstance you're in, would you say my goal is to live in such a way, to depend on God in such a way that the people around me, the Gentiles, would praise God when they see the strength in me, the comfort in me, the work God's doing in me. Second reason to lionize the Lord. We want to lionize the Lord because his forever faithfulness trumps my temporary trials. And let's face it, we all go through temporary trials. But even as we go through those downs and then ups and downs valleys, God says, my forever faithfulness is something you can praise, hold on to, magnify and lionize in your mind as you face challenges. Here's what it says, now we're in Psalms 118. Can you believe Psalms 117 is over? It's like, there it was. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. Man, he's good to me. Forever faithful. His mercy, there it is again, endures forever. It's forever faithfulness, forever merciful, forever goodness. Let Israel say now, his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say now, his mercy endures forever. There's this constant reflecting on, thinking on, lionizing, magnifying, meditating on, holding up in esteem how big God is, how faithful God is. And that meditation, that focus on God's forever faithfulness takes the current temporary trials and struggles that are real and difficult but it puts them in the proper perspective. That's what he's getting at here. He says, in fact, I called on the Lord in distress during those temporary trials. I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Do you see how he's talking to himself? This is called soul talk. He's talking to himself. what's, What's man gonna do to me? He's minimizing compared to God being on my side. What are these temporary trials compared to the mercy and foreverness of God? What are these challenges I'm facing compared to the permanent reward God's gonna give me? In fact, that perspective can help us face any distress we're under when we call upon the Lord. You know, I had the opportunity to hear a a son eulogizing his mom It's a guy who's kind of famous, uh, Tony Evans, who's a pretty famous pastor. His wife passed away from cancer. You talk about a family that was going through distress. Like a lot of us, when family members are going through a health crisis, we're praying in distress. We're calling out to God, God, heal them so we don't lose them. God, reunite them with the family. They're stuck in a hospital bed. God, would you restore them to health fully? And there were people all over the world praying for Tony Evans' wife. And yet she passed away. And her son was wrestling with, why isn't that verse we just read true? I called upon the Lord and he answered me. Doesn't look like he answered me. Mom died. He died of cancer. But here are the words he shared at the funeral. And I think they're pretty powerful because they really get to this idea of how God may answer differently than you think 
but God always answers yes to your prayer. Here's what he says. He says, I was talking with God about why he didn't heal my mom. Because victory was already given to your mom, the Lord said. You don't understand because of the victory that I have given you. There are always two ways, and only two ways, to your prayers. Either she was going to be healed on earth, or she was going to be healed in heaven. Either she was going to live, or she was going to live. Either she was going to be with family, or she's going to be with family. Either she was going to be well taken care of, or she was going to be well taken care of. Victory belongs to me because of what I've already done for you, says the Lord. The two answers to your prayers are yes and yes, because victory belongs to Jesus. God said to me, you need to understand that I am God and I am sovereign and any game plan is bigger than any one player on the field. So you need to trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on you, but lean on me because I have the ability to make this crooked situation straight. I am the sovereign Lord. That's why I say that I am who I am and don't tell me how to get glory. And that speech he gave about his mom is a reminder that we don't always know how God's gonna answer the prayer, but whether it's healing now or healing later, reunion now or reunion later, God says, call upon the Lord, lionize the forever faithfulness of God to put your temporary trials in perspective. Now imagine Jesus as he and his disciples are singing that Psalm, Psalm 118, on their way out of Passover meal, on their way to his crucifixion, right? Imagine now he's on the cross and he's still got the words of that song rolling like a chorus through his head. I will call on the Lord in my distress. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place, the right hand of God. The Lord is on my side. Yes, he was. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You remember Jesus' words? What shall profit a man if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? The thing that really matters, the forever faithfulness of God, the things I weigh heavily are the eternal things, not the temporal things. And that's actually why living for Jesus, growing as a Christian, is an exercise in brain power. It's renewing your mind. It's putting on the mind of Christ. It's constantly meditating on putting things in proper perspective. I lionize the reward God has for me by minimizing the sacrifice and the challenge. I lionize the fact that God is faithful, which allows my feelings that I don't know if he can be trusted. I don't know if he likes me or is here for me or is gonna be dependable. They take their proper place. When you lionize the Lord, it puts the reward, God's faithfulness, eternity in its proper place. And all those other feelings, which are true, experiences that are true, subordinate themselves as you begin to meditate and think on lionizing the Lord for who he is, magnifying him so everything else takes its proper place. Now, the third reason we lionize the Lord is what? Well, continues on in Psalm 118. We cling to, you and I cling to, and we trust in the biggest thing we know. The biggest thing we know, well, God's the biggest thing I know. Yeah, 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 but you may not have lionized him. So the biggest thing you may know is how you feel about your job. The biggest thing you know may be your reputation. 
The biggest thing you trust in is whether or not your spouse says you're doing a good job. The biggest thing you trust in is your bank account. So what happens is when those things are going well, you feel good about yourself. You've got a great identity. It's gonna be a great day, a great week, a great year. But what about when your marriage is in trouble? When your kids aren't obeying? What about when uh, things in the business are getting a little shaky? You actually want to magnify the Lord, lionize the Lord. So you say, that's the most important thing in my life, how he feels about me, what he says about me. So my identity is now rooted in the biggest thing I trust in, the biggest thing I cling to is God. And that's why I need to lionize him to make sure he's in the proper place in my heart. The Lord is for me among those who help me. Look at it, he's magnifying, the Lord's for me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. God's gonna bring judgment. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in princes. Let me read those two verses again. It is better to trust in the Lord, lionize him, than to put your confidence in something else. Man, reputation, people, people's approval, kids' obedience. Next verse. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Well, what's a prince? A, a prince's security, a prince's position, a prince's titles. He said, don't center your life on your title. Don't center your life on other people, temporal things. No, it's better to cling to the thing that really matters, which is the Lord. Now, what you may not know is that this verse is the very center verse of the Bible. If you rolled out an entire scroll from Genesis to Malachi, this one would be in the very center of the Bible. So the very center verse, the very center thing we need to know is that we're supposed to cling to, adhere to, lean into God, not ourselves. In fact, if you've ever seen an old scroll, but imagine rolling that scroll out, kind of making your way to find the center verse and saying, what's the center of what God wants me to do with my life? So what does it mean to lionize him? It means to center myself on the truth that I'm clinging to him, I'm putting my identity in him more than princes, more than man, more than other good things. That's what the Bible calls idolatry. That God is the victor, he's the one that brings triumph. So how about you? How about me? Are we centering on trusting the Lord? Is that the center point of our life? Or have we allowed God to be a spoke in the wheel? He's in there. He's just not at the center. Lionizing the Lord means magnifying, taking him as a spoke and turning him into the hub, the center portion of how we see and cling and organize our life. Now this idea that God should be trusted because he's triumphant becomes the theme of Exodus. He triumphed over the gods of Egypt. But it's also the theme of the Passover and Jesus' victory on the cross. Now what do I mean? Well, as the passage continues, here's what it says. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. The psalmist is saying, I'm surrounded here. I'm sur- they've surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. But in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. Uh, they surrounded me like bees. But they were quenched like a fire of thorns. 
in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. And look at how he's putting his trust in, not his own resources, his own strategies, but in the name of the Lord. He's practicing what we just talked about. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did? He trusted God, not my will, oh no, but yours be done, as he's in the garden on his way to the cross. Now, as I mentioned this past in the series, in the book of Colossians, it says that what Jesus did on the cross in this section was he brought triumph to us. And just like in the Egyptian Passover, God triumphed over the gods of Egypt, Jesus is triumphing over the spiritual forces of hatred and death by defeating them on the cross. Paul says, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, having disarmed spiritual principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, how you think is the best you got? By triumphing over them in it. Now this word triumph, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, is a word used in the Greek Roman culture by generals and ultimately by pharaohs. Not pharaohs, rather, by, by um, Caesars. And so what the Caesar would do, or what a general would do, is they'd march into Rome, make their way through the city, I am triumphant! They would bring some of the, the stuff that they'd taken from their enemies. Look, here's the thing I took from this country and this country. We are victorious. They would make their way back places like the Arch of Titus, which commemorates some of the victory, make their way up to the Colosseum, and then all the way up to the Temple of Jupiter, and then they would stop and present themselves before Capitol Hill. Capitol Hill in the Roman myth was known as Head Hill, because there was rumors that when that thing was built and they were excavating the site, they found a human head there. So they called this place of triumph Head Hill. So you would make your way and say, look at our general, he's victorious. Look how victorious people we are. So you'd make your way past the arch. As you saw the arch, you would see remnants of victory. They'd conquer the Jews. Look at that menorah that they took. You got to see the, the rewards of our triumph over our enemies. Make your way down to the Colosseum. Another reminder that our gods are more powerful than their gods. And ultimately you'd make your way up to Head Hill. Now, when Mark is writing of Jesus' biography, he takes this idea of a Roman triumph and says, how can I help Gentiles in particular that I want to laud him understand Jesus' death? Because right, Jesus' death looks like a total failure. He got crucified, he was killed. This is like utter loss. But Mark words his triumph in such a way, and Paul uses the word triumph in such a way to show us that what Jesus was doing that looked like weakness and looked like him losing was actually him in triumph. Look at the parallels. Mark's gonna describe it this way. Jesus makes his own march down the road toward the trial before Pilate at Herod's fortress. And on his way there, he goes through some of the several steps that happen in a Roman triumph. He makes his way up to trial and then he makes his way out of the fortress and he's taken out to this hill. And what does the gospels tell us they call the hill? Golgotha, Skull Hill. Well, Mark makes this comparison between Head Hill where the generals go for triumph and Golgotha, Skull Hill, Head Hill, where Jesus stands in victory. And though it looks like he's being defeated, he triumphs over his enemies. And now he's taken from them death. He's taken them. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? 
and he carries with him all the treasures of his victory that he hands to us. Forgiveness, life eternal, victory in Christ over all the spiritual forces. And that is why it's so important for us to lionize what God's done. He defeated all spiritual forces that day. That's exactly right. So that's why we need to magnify the Lord and his triumph for us. Because when we magnify what God has done for us, we realize that his triumph is far more important than whatever we're facing. And that's our key takeaway for today. It comes out of verse 13, 14, and 15. How can you and I sing the song of salvation even when we feel surrounded? All right? What does it look like for us to lionize God, sing about God in our heart, meditate on what's true about God in our heart, even when we feel surrounded, our feelings, our experiences, is like, wow, I don't feel like God's here. I don't feel like he's a help. I don't feel like I'm gonna make it. That's the moment to sing the song of salvation. God can deliver me, now or later. God is with me, now or later. I sing the song of salvation in my heart, especially when I'm surrounded. Here's what he says in verse uh, 13, 14, 15. You pushed me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. You see him lionizing the Lord? You see him, him, him magnifying and holding that up and saying that's true? He's singing the song of salvation, God's deliverance in his heart. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Yeah, I want you to have that kind of victory. I want you, especially when you're feeling down, feeling kicked, feeling like you're surrounded, that's when I want you more than ever. When you least want to, by the way. It's like when I least want to do this. It's when I most need to. Yeah, God, you are faithful. God, I'm gonna laud you, I'm gonna lionize you, I'm gonna live in such a way that the people watching me through the circumstance laud you or lionize you or magnifying you. It's a spiritual exercise, it's a mental exercise, it's a way in which you and I renew our mind and take thoughts captive. We sing the song of his salvation. Now maybe as we've been going through this series, we've got one week left as we head into Easter, maybe you're starting to say, man, I'm loving all what I'm learning and I wanna go deeper. So I mentioned a few times a new tool we have to kind of help you apply this, think about this, that you can get access to and it's called the Pathway. Now the Pathway is a, a short little video that Drew or I do kind of reflecting on the week's message with a little bit of extra material that really helps you go deep helps you go deep thinking on a particular thought or asking a question that just takes one of the concepts and, and drills it down into your heart. So it's a short little video you can get access to by going to our website. If you go to our website, you'll see there's three videos on the main page. It's the exploring message for the week, the equipping message for the week, and then there'll be the pathway video for the week, available typically on Sundays about two o'clock. There's also, if you look at the app, you can go to the message for the app that day, play the video, play the audio, but there's also a little pathway video there. It will play the video right there. It will be Drew and I just chatting with you about some things we're reflecting on or thought about in this passage. It also comes with a 
short little piece of paper that you can use for yourself or your spouse or in a small group to help walk you through these important principles and what it looks like to really apply them in the sticky parts of your life. In fact, I think that's so important that Bible study, community, um, connecting with God becomes something you do with other people. It's one of the reasons why at a church, here at Horizon, we feel like small groups are so important. Small groups are a way in which you lionize the Lord together. Do you remember that earlier passage in 117 and then 118? You know, the people of Aaron lionize the Lord. The, the, the people of Israel, the people of Judah. You need other people sometimes because you're in the dumps, you're crushed down, you've, your experiences or feelings are, are, got you way down. You need other people to lift you up, to remind you how big God is, to remind you that he is with you. And so if you've never been in a small group, I just encourage you. We've got a men's study coming up with, uh, with Ken Kington. I can't tell you how many guys say, oh, I'm not really a small group kind of person. I'm going to go in there. I'm just going to listen. And I like Ken because he's funny. But I started hearing a couple other guys talking about real life experience and how they were trying to wrestle with this whole idea, the difference between what I feel and, and what God says is true. And as I saw them being honest, I was kind of interested in having other people lift me up. I wasn't ready to talk quite yet, but... Man, there was something encouraging about other people kind of lifting me up and lifting up the truths of God. That's why groups exist. And if you've never been in a group, a women's group or a men's group, I just encourage you, call us at the office. We need people to sing that song, you know, Sweet Caroline, that, that all you need is love, that, that laud the, the Lord, O Gentiles, together in community. In fact, I got a chance to experience that firsthand. Often during the week when we're videotaping or just working with, with um, you know, different opportunities of the church, there's small groups meeting all over this place. And I walked in just to say hi, and often some of our groups will say, hey, we watched the Pathway video, and Chad, we got a question about this, and I'll try and answer some questions. So I kind of marched into this small group to say hi and see if they're going to bombard me with questions, and I immediately noticed this was a sacred moment going on. I walked in, I saw one woman crying, and I saw the leader come up and sit next to her and put her arm around her. And I'm like, er, I kind of backed up and, and stepped back out of the room to give them some privacy. I waited you know, four or five minutes. And then I came back in. And she was still weeping. And her group was praying for her. And her leader had her arm around her. I sat down. I said, what's going on? She said, I just found out that one of my best friends died. And as she was weeping there, and sharing her story together, I just saw one of our small group leaders do an an amazing job of offering comfort and strength and community. And I saw the entire small group pray for, love on, care for someone in need. And I was just so proud to be part of a church like that, part of a community like that, called for a friend. This isn't a staff member leading this group, this is a volunteer pastoring and ministering and praying for and loving on. And I thought, man, I want some people in my life that when I go through challenges, they can lift me up when I feel like I've been stepped on. Do you need that too? I think we all do. So if you've never had someone to help magnify the Lord with you, to lionize the Lord for you, to help you sing the song of salvation, you find a group to do that. And just know, as you're as you're coming to our church, you get to see what happens online, especially if you watch online or through the live stream and you say, I love the service. There's so many other ways that God is working through our church. 
We just got a report. There's like three or 4,000 people who watch our services every weekend now all over the country. There's people meeting in small groups all through this building. There's people going down to City Gospel and helping people who, who are serving the poor and helping people in need. There's people whose, whose lives are being stirred up and touched by you know, missional experiences and God's prompting them to do amazing things. So when you pray for our church, pray for community, pray for growth. When you give, I hope you're a faithful giver, a regular giver to what we do here at the church, even if you only watch online. Because you believe in the life change that happens in you and in me when we go verse by verse through the Bible and when we put people in environments where they go verse by verse through the Bible and God transforms them. So when you give to, get, when you give to God financially, lionize God's mercy and give accordingly. When you pray to God, lionize the Lord and pray in boldness. When you're facing fear, lionize the Lord and go forth with the song of salvation. Let's pray together. Can I pray for you? Father, thank you for your promises. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your mercy. We love you. We trust you. For better to trust in the Lord than to put our trust in man or princess. In Jesus' name, amen.